Before we get started in the message, um, I'd like for us to take a few moments to reflect and pray for um, for those affected by Hurricane Harvey. This is one of the, the greatest natural disasters that America has seen, and um, there's been a lot of people affected by it, and uh, and that's it's only four hours away from us, uh, and there are, there's thousands of evacuees who've come to Dallas that we have opportunity to help. Uh, I think that starts with us first praying for those who've been affected and displaced. Uh, I think uh, it, it, this whole deal is still in rescue mode. So it's, it's rescue, relief, and then rebuild and restore. Okay, And it's, it's still in rescue mode. There are people uh, that may still be trapped. Uh, and so they're still trying to find anybody like that. And, and so we want to pray for that and, and pray for God to move. And it's been, I have been delighted to see the response of Texans, and not just Texans, but, but Christians, Texans, um, and, and just I, just seeing folks rise up. I mean, I saw a beautiful picture of uh, the other day of um, a, a guy carrying a mom and a, an infant and just, just carrying her out of the floodwaters, and just beautiful display of Christ-likeness, of our Redeemer, our Rescuer. Um, and so... We want to pray. We also, some of us have family members or friends who live in that area or have been affected by this. There's, so let's pray. Father, you are Lord of all creation. And we live in a world that you created good and you designed beautifully with, with no flaws, but humanity has corrupted this creation, and now we, today, we groan with the rest of creation. We groan when we see natural disasters, when we see wars, when we see sickness, and we see this creation not reflecting your original design. And we pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for restoration for Houston, for uh, all the families affected, God. We pray that you would work this together for good, that you would give opportunities for the gospel to shine and go forth, God. That you would cause your church to rise up to display the love of Christ in that place and speak to us how we as a small church plant how we can uh, contribute to making a difference, to relieving, to rescuing, relieving, and restoring uh, what the damage uh, that has taken place in people's lives. And so speak to us about that. Show us how and, and what you want us to do. Show us your will in this. Um, and, and God, we ask for that, that you would spare the lives of those who are still trapped, those who are still in very dangerous circumstances around that area, God, that you would send rescue, that they would be found, that they would be delivered, that there would be wonderful testimonies of your mighty hand to deliver. In Jesus' name, amen. And today we're looking at something that is at the core of Christianity and at the core of our vision here at City Church International, Garland, is knowing and following Jesus. Knowing and following Jesus. Christianity is more than just a religion. It's more than just knowing facts about this great leader who lived in history and did some wonderful things. 
And oh boy, he did some wonderful things. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leopards. He, 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 he transformed, he, he reformed and changed broken religious systems in ways that were actually keeping people away from God and pushing people away from God. And Jesus came and he brought his kingdom, his reign. He broke the yoke of the oppressor of Satan's yoke in people's lives. He broke the yoke of sin and slavery to sin in people's lives. And he brought his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And today we're going to focus on knowing and following Jesus. What does it look like? What does it mean to know Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him? What does that look like? And so know Jesus, love people, impact your world. That's what we're here for. Jesus selected about 12 men. He selected 12 men to be with him, to follow him, to know him. And then he, tra- he trained them and then he sent them out to do the very things that he did. He, he, he displayed the kingdom of God to these men. He showed them what it looks like to be a, a kingdom citizen. Of course, he's the king. He showed them. He revealed himself to them. He revealed what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom. And then he commissioned them to go and do those very same things. So if you have your Bible, open up and turn to Mark chapter 8. And this is a pivotal, pivotal point in the gospel of Mark. Okay, Mark from the very beginning of his gospel account uh, it's a short gospel, 16 chapters, but from the very beginning, Mark holds no punches as to who Jesus is. I mean, he lets the, 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 the hearers, the readers know right away who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He lets us know who Jesus is, and he wants us to know who he is. He wants the readers, he wants the hearers to know who Jesus is. In this portion of scripture, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? Uh, the, the identity of Jesus is, a, is an important theme throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's an important part of the gospel, knowing who Jesus is and what he did is a very important part of the gospel. Um, Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And actually, if you would stand with me. Uh, let's read. And Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said plainly, he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake 
will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. So here's where we're going today in this this message. Um, Knowing and following Jesus is at the core of Christianity, and it must be priority for every Christian. Simple, it's basic, and we're going to keep going back to the basics. Because I don't think that there's anybody here, I know that there's, there's no one here who knows Jesus exhaustively. There's nobody here who knows Jesus exhaustively. You have arrived. There is nothing more for you to know about Jesus. You're just there. You're in glory. You got the glory cloud around you. All right. There's nobody because knowing Jesus is a process. Knowing Jesus is a journey. Following Jesus is a journey. And when you become a Christian, you can legitimately say you know Jesus. You met Jesus and you got a relationship with Jesus. You know him. Knowing Jesus means that you have eternal life. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. It means that you have eternal life. It means that your sins are forgiven. It means that you're a new person. You've been changed because you've stepped into a right relationship with your God, with your Lord, and with your Savior. Knowing Jesus means that you've come to him and you've trusted him as your Savior and as your Lord. And if if a person doesn't know Jesus, they're not a Christian and they will not spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. There are a group of people that Jesus says in Matthew 7 will come to him and say, Lord, didn't we do all these great things? They call him Lord. They did some great things. They cast out demons, or at least they said they cast out demons. They prophesied. They did many wonderful works in his name. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So knowing Jesus is at the core of Christianity. It's important. It's, it's, It's what we aim for more than anything. We want to know him and love Him, and be known by Him, and be loved by Him, and experience a relationship with Him. God is a relational God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been a relational God throughout eternity. They're relational. They value relationships, and He's created mankind in His image. And we too should value relationships, knowing and being known by God and by one another. We value that. Jesus sums up what what God demands of us is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. This is relationship, love relationship with God. And to truly know God, I think, means that you truly love God and that you truly follow God. So Jesus is with his disciples. They've been following him for some time, and he asked two questions. He says, who do you say that I or who do people say that I am? There's crowds following Jesus. Jesus got some popularity. He got some fans. He got some followers on Twitter, so to speak, on social media. He had some folks that were like, yeah, that Jesus, dude, we're going to that Jesus concert. We're going to that Jesus movement thing because they're giving free food out. Hey, and if you're you're sick, you'll get healed too. Bring bring your sick friends. 
uh, or if you got some problems with demons, just bring, just bring, come and, and he'll set you free. You can be normal again, right? So there's, there's all these great perks that come with knowing Jesus and being around Jesus, right? But Jesus wasn't interested in loose, shallow followers who were just interested in the perks. He wanted true disciples who would commit to walking with him and being with him through the thick and through the thin. Following Jesus and knowing Jesus have a lot of great perks. There's a lot of great joy, peace, meaning, fulfillment. But as I said last week, that's not why we signed up for this following Jesus thing, right? Not for the perks, right? We signed up for following Jesus because he is the life, our life. The way, the truth, and the life. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He is the very source of our life, our hope, our refuge. And without Him, we are nothing, and we have nothing, and we will perish without Him. So we've come to Him like, like Peter and, and, and James and John and the disciples. We've, we've come to Jesus. We've trusted Jesus. We've, we've left things to follow Jesus. So knowing Jesus is, is important. Knowing Je- so this is, this is my, my shot at trying to articulate in a sentence what it means to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus means that we accurately know who he is and what he says and that we authentically relate to him with an obedience to his commands. I'm going to say that again. So I tried to sum it up hitting on what I think is most important to describe. What does it mean to know Jesus? It means that we accurately know who he is and what he says and that we authentically relate to him with an obedience to his commands. Jesus and his disciples, okay? I think we would say they knew Jesus, right? The the, the 12, right? There might be some debate about Judas, but um, we we would say, yeah, they they knew Jesus. They really knew who he was, right? And, and so they were with him. They knew him relationally. They, there, was, there was an intimate relationship. I mean, if you're sleeping in the same room with 11 other guys, with sounds and smells and quirks that those guys have, you're going to get to know them intimately, okay? Put in a plug for the men's retreat two weeks from now. All right, guys, come. Don't miss that men's retreat. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a blast. Uh, if you, if you want to save some money and you, you want to pay only 30 bucks and, and you want to sleep in a tent, I have a tent that sleeps 12. All right. And so you can sleep in my tent and we can get to know each other better. All right. So knowing Jesus means that we accurately know who he is, what he says, and that we authentically relate to him with an obedience to his commands. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Okay. They told him. Or who do people say I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, was killed. He was beheaded because he confronted uh, an adulteress, adulterer. He was, he was a prophet, a great man of God that Jesus loved, uh, uh, close to Jesus, and, and he was killed. And some thought Jesus was John the Baptist back from the dead, right? And they were like, oh, man, that's, this is, that's, who, that's who this Jesus guy is doing all these miracles. Uh, some, some, Eli- some thought he was Elijah, right? Uh, Elijah was taken up, right? Oh, he's back. Elijah's here, right? Uh, and some say the prophets. Even today, there are people who will say, yeah, Jesus is a great teacher. Uh, Muslims will say Jesus is, is a great prophet just under, just under Muhammad. He's like, he's up there, right? Uh, uh, new age, new age, you know, movement, um, you know, they'll say, yeah, Jesus had a lot of positive, loving things to say. He had good energy, right? 
Yeah, you know, we like the Jesus stuff. But he's more than all that. As, as one writer says, either Jesus was a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. And nothing less. And, and those of us who are here, we have come to that conclusion that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is, as Peter said, the Messiah, the Christ. Christ is the, the Greek, Christos is the Greek equivalent to Messiah, the Hebrew uh, word. That the Jews had an expectancy for this Messianic king, Messiah, who would come and deliver them from their oppressors. And many of the Jewish people had a different perspective of what that would look like when he came. And I'll get into that here in a minute. But first, knowing Jesus is, is, means that we accurately know who he is. Peter had, been, had come to the realization that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. It's interesting because Jesus, in verse 30, Jesus strict, strictly charged him, don't tell anyone. This is interesting because we see the opposite happening too later on is Jesus is like, go tell everyone who I am and what I've done, right? And so there's a timing issue here. Perhaps if, if, if they would have let the cat out of the bag too early and, and they decided to start revealing to whomever they want who Jesus is, perhaps there could have been a revolt and, 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 and another uh, movement of like, let's, let's overtake Rome, right? Jesus wasn't trying to do that. His kingdom was different. It was a different kind of kingdom. And if it, if it was like that, he would have fought. And even his disciples, they were growing in their knowing of who Jesus was and the revelation of who Jesus was. You know, at the, at some, at the end of the gospel, we see uh, the, the disciples recognizing the deity of Jesus. Like they worship, they worshiped him and rightfully so because he is divine, fully God and fully man. What, what did Thomas say when when, you know, Jesus shows up after he's resurrected, my Lord and my, my God. Knowing Jesus means that we accurately, means that it, knowing Jesus involves being accurately and intimately acquainted with him. <clears throat> accurately and intimately acquainted with him. Like Jehovah Witnesses will reject the, the deity of Christ. That, that idea that, that Christ is divine, that he's God, Right? So many will say, yeah, you know, Jesus was a prophet, he was a good teacher, he's a good man. But then when you start going to the point of he's, he's the king, he's the Messiah, he's God. He's God in the flesh. People have a hard time with that. And one of the reasons people have a hard time with it is because it takes divine revelation from God to grasp that. It's not something that people in their own mental efforts and in their own human will achieve a revelation of. It's something that is graciously granted from heaven, from the Father. And so John wants the readers to know who Jesus is. He is the Christ from the very beginning. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. Um, in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus gets baptized and the Father from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. you got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all in one scene. God showing up all in one scene in Mark chapter 1. And the identity of Jesus is important. Knowing who, accurately knowing who he is that that's that's a part of what it means to know him but there's plenty of people who can say they know who jesus is accurately scholars and professors that can accurately articulate who jesus is said to be from the bible but maybe don't have an intimate relationship with him 
that don't know him in a relational way, don't know his voice and don't follow and obey his voice. And so knowing Jesus is also a matter of grace and it requires divine revelation. In, in Matthew's account of this story, this encounter, uh, Jesus responds to Peter and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My Father who is in heaven has re- graciously revealed to you. Remember last week we looked in Mark chapter 4, he told his disciples, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We should feel like insiders, just like the disciples, that he, Jesus has graciously given us an invitation, invited us in to know him and to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God that the rest of the people just don't get. They don't see the king and the kingdom as a valuable treasure to sell all and buy the field that the treasure's in, right? They, they, and they don't respond in that way because they don't know him. They, they haven't, their eyes haven't been opened to see the beauty and the glory of who he is. And this is Christianity. Those of us who know Jesus have had our eyes open to the preciousness of who Jesus is. And so we sing like we do. We give like we do. We live like we do. We speak like we do. We do relationships like we do because we've come to know Jesus and it changes everything for us. This is what we're about here at City Church Garland. And none of us, again, none of us have arrived. None of us know Jesus exhaustively. We, we, we can certainly say, yeah, we know Jesus if we're a Christian. But we are growing in that knowledge of him. And, and by the way, I, I love what um, J.I. Packer says uh, in his book, Knowing God. He says, um, uh, the, the, the width of our knowledge about God is no gauge to the depth of our knowledge of him. The width of our knowledge about God, about Jesus, is no gauge to the, to the depth of our knowledge of him. There's plenty of people that know a lot of facts about Jesus, but don't know him deeply and intimately and even accurately. I mean, you can know a lot about Abraham Lincoln, and, and you like some things about him and be like, yeah, he has some good stuff going on for this country, Right? But like, do you know him? Do you know him? And, and though the disciples got to walk with Jesus and have his physical body presence with him, God bless you, though they got to walk with him in that way, our relationship with Jesus is no less real than it was for them. Because we have his inspired words. We have the scripture, the infallible and errant Word of God. We have His teachings, that His divine revelation given from God that reveals who He is. And we have Scripture, and we have the Spirit of God residing within us who teaches us about who Jesus is. He glorifies Jesus. He magnifies Jesus. He puts the spotlight on Jesus. He leads us into obedience to Jesus' commands. And so our relationship with Jesus Christ as Christians, though we don't see him physically here with us, it's still real. It's still authentic. We still, as Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They follow it. We still hear his voice. We still follow him. So, so knowing Jesus is a matter of grace that, and requires 
divine revelation. He, he has to reveal himself to us. He, we need his help. We need him as our savior. We need his intervention to overcome Satan, the one who blinds the minds of those who, who don't believe. We need his help to overcome and break the chains of sin in our lives so that we can be free to know him and follow him and walk with him. Peter speaks up and, and go Peter. You know, he's, he, God graciously gave him a revelation of who Jesus is. But then it wasn't long later that, that Peter applies his revelation and his position. He, he misapplies it to where uh, Jesus calls him. He, sa- he says, Satan, get behind me, Satan. He tell, I mean, that's, that, w- that would sting, right? If I was Peter, I would, feel, I would feel a deep sting in my heart. Oh, my rabbi just called, said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Uh, also put in here um, is that knowing Jesus involves knowing and obeying his commands. So we not only know who he is, but we know what he commands, what he demands of us. And we follow, we, we take action on these. First John 2, 3 says this, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The next verse says, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. I know that's black and white, that's, that's straightforward, that's, that, that feels strong, that can feel heavy. But keeping his commandments is the fruit and the effects of knowing Jesus. Okay, it starts, as I said last week when, when I was talking about bearing fruit, the pressure for us to bear fruit uh, it isn't, doesn't have to be all on us. Fruit comes from abiding and knowing Jesus, having that relationship with him. And knowing Jesus transforms your life. I mean, that's the effect. Peter, Peter was, a, was a tough, rugged man who had a lot of rough edges, who had a lot of flaws. Even, even after following Jesus, we still see flaws. We still see Peter in a process. Even to the point where, even after he had the Holy Spirit, where Paul had to, like, had to confront him for not being straightforward in the gospel, in, in, in the book of Galatians. And so, so P- Peter... Was he genuinely knew Jesus, but he he was he was walking with him, and he was he was transformed, and he was being transformed by his relationship with Jesus. In Acts four thirteen, Peter and John, uh, when when the religious leaders they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, when you know Jesus and you've been with Jesus. Your life is changed forever. You speak differently. You act differently. You walk differently. You think differently. You live differently. Knowing Jesus transforms your life. Transforms Peter's life. Mm-hmm. G.I. Packer says this in Knowing God. He says, to get to know another person, you have to commit yourself to his company and interest and be ready to identify yourself with his concerns Without this, your relationship with him can only be superficial and flavorless. That's a good quote. When you go to a restaurant, good restaurant, and you're, you're trying to decide, you're at a new restaurant. My wife and I went to a Greek restaurant the other, last, on Friday and never been there before. We had a Groupon. We went and we didn't know what to get. So you're there at a restaurant and you ask the waiter or waitress, what's this dish? Is this good? What's this like? The waiter or waitress, for them to really be able to tell you what it's like, they've had to have it. 
don't know if you ever had the experience where you ask the waiter or waitress, what's this like? And they're like, well, I've never tried it, but if you like this, it's probably like this or whatever. You know, they try to explain it, but they've never tasted it for themselves. So they can't say from experience, this is great or this is, I wouldn't get that. It's not very good. Right. And so the Bible talks about you and I tasting and seeing that God is good. Tasting and seeing that God is good. This implies that there is an experience for us in our relationship with God where we've really come to try, to trust, and to know what God is like, what Jesus is like. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him or takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, verse 8. And so, so tasting and seeing that God is good is coming to him. Or in, in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. So coming and eating and drinking Jesus, eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. It sounds really weird, I know. He said those words and a lot of followers stopped following him. They didn't like that. It sounded like cannibalism. But he wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about coming to him in faith. Believing in him, trusting in him, and experiencing a relationship with him. Tasting and seeing that he's good. Experiencing that. And so those of us who are Christians, we've done that. And we continue to do that. When, when you experience good food, like my wife and I did at this, this place Friday night called Athenos, they have some great gyros or euros. My wife, I, if my wife was in here, I'd love, love for just a... I like to irritate her by saying things wrong. She's a speech therapist. So she's like, it's not gyros or gyros, it's, it's euros. So we, we tasted, we saw that the, the euros were good. The euro meat was good. The salad was good. And we, we want to go back there because it's good, right? Good deal, good service, good food. You go back there. And that's, that's what it's like with your, our relationship with God. We keep going back there because we're, we're hungry for him. We've tasted that he's good. He's worth it. He's worth following. He's worth knowing. And, and we want to know him more, more intimately, more accurately, more deeply. And so we pursue him in that. We give ourselves to that. So now let's talk a little bit about following Jesus. Truly knowing Jesus leads to genuinely following Jesus. Truly knowing Jesus leads to genuinely following Jesus. See, when you've tasted and you've seen and you've experienced and you've got that real, authentic relationship with him, you go back. You go back there and you, wherever he goes, you go. Peter and the disciples, they, they, they were in a process. They had to, they had to kind of grasp this. Uh, let me, I, I skipped over some verses here. Let me go back to what Jesus said to Peter. Uh, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And he goes in and he, Jesus starts to explain that. He would have to suffer that though he is a king and though he is the Messiah, he would have to suffer. And so in the Jewish, the common Jewish mindset, those two things didn't equate like, okay, you're the king. So take the Romans out. But Jesus's plan and God's the father's plan was he's the king, but he's going to suffer and die. And on the third day, rise again. And so the king, there's this kingdom paradox that when you know jesus and you follow jesus that we 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 have to step into because to gain your life you lose it to be exalted you humble yourself to be blessed and happy and satisfied in life you give 
And you serve. You take the low road. And so it's totally different. It's a paradox from how the world thinks and how the kingdoms of the world operate. And that's what Jesus invites us into when we follow him. It's, it's this paradox of we die. We, we don't gravitate towards comfort and ease. Following Jesus means that we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow him. So Jesus, Jesus himself, he, he was correcting some misunderstanding of the disciples. And I think there's a lot of disciples today who, who need this misunderstanding corrected. Who have bought into a prosperity gospel, a modern gospel, who, who think that following Jesus and Christianity is all about just being comfortable and happy and getting your heart's desire and everything being smooth and you, you get a nice house when you become a Christian and a nice spouse and, 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 and your healthy life always, no sickness. Everything's good and smooth. But that's not always the case from the very beginning, from Jesus' life to the early church to, to Christians today. That's not, that's not the normal Christian life. And many Americans have bought in to this, this American dream idea that that's what it's supposed to be like for us. No suffering. Be aware of a Christ, buying into a Christianity that, that doesn't have a cross. That doesn't have a cross to bear. Now Jesus took the cross for our sins. He, he died in our place. He suffered in our place. And so we, we don't suffer to try to, to, uh, to attain eternal life and, and be saved. Jesus has taken care of that. That cross is, is, is that work is finished. But, but Jesus called to, to follow him. Jesus calls us to take up our own cross. To deny ourselves. This means ambitions that we have, plans and ambitions that we have for our life that don't align with the kingdom of God. It means laying those on the altar. This is Christianity. And this is challenging. This is challenging for me. And this is something I have to keep coming back to. Am I, with my family, am I thinking comfort zone, ease, preserve my life, go the easy road? Or am I thinking kingdom, risk, sacrifice, the glory of Jesus, I die, I go low, I serve. I think that's our heart here at City Church. Otherwise, I don't think you would be here, part of this church plant. Because this church plant in many ways has been that. It's been hard, right? It's been, there's been sacrifice. There's been... Stepping out of the boat, stepping out of our comfort zone. There's a lot of big mega churches in Dallas that are comfortable. You can go and be a part of and just, just chill and, and kick your leg. Be served. Be served. And that's a problem. That's a mind shift that Christians throughout this culture need to, need to have, a, have a paradox shift, a, a mind shift that we don't, we don't go to church and we don't be Christians to be served and and, and be consumers. We become servants and followers of the King. And we live like Jesus. And, and though that road is hard, it's hard. The, the, the path that leads to eternal life is hard. Narrow and difficult is the way. So be aware of, of buying into a mindset that the path of following Jesus is somehow going to be easy, smooth, and comfortable. 
Because following Jesus always has next steps and he is consistently and regularly calling us out of our comfort zones. That's just Christianity. That's denying ourselves. That's taking up our cross. Like, we like crosses on our necks for, for jewelry and decoration that look beautiful, but we don't like crosses on our backs when it comes to following Jesus. But that's Christianity. And that's the blessed life. You want the blessed life? That's it. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for my sake. Great is your reward in heaven. That's, that's the paradox shift that God calls us to live within, to think differently. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, here's, here's my, my shot at trying to articulate it. Following Jesus means that you commit to being with him, thinking like him, and speaking like him, and living like him, even, even in his sufferings. That it means that you commit to being with him, thinking like him, speaking like him, living like him, even in his sufferings. That's following Jesus. We get on the potter's wheel. We let him shape and mold us to, how, what, to whatever he wants to do with our lives. We are not the captains of our destiny. He is. We're not the king. He's Lord. He's king. He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. Following Jesus involves hardship and suffering. If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. While there are great hardships in truly following Jesus, there are great rewards as well. I, I don't want anybody here to feel like it's not worth it because it's hard. I, I, I don't want anybody to be disillusioned by following what it means to follow Jesus, thinking that it's just going to be smooth and easy. All right, And be like that guy that I talked about last week who put the parachute on in the airplane because he thought it was going to make his flight more comfortable. It was actually more uncomfortable, and he, he felt embarrassed that he was wearing a parachute on the airplane. But the other guy who put the parachute on because it would save his life, he, he put it on for the right reason. And so I want, I want us to know, too, that there are great rewards. Jesus, um, you know, his disciples said, hey, we, in, in chapter 10 of Mark, he says, we, we've left everything to follow you. You know, we've, we've left it all. And, and you know what? Jesus says, hey, anybody who's left houses, families, um, they've left those things to follow me. They're going to. They're going to get a return on that in this life and in the life to come. Uh, we don't always see that return ending up be, being like we think it should be, but we can trust that God is a diligent rewarder of those who seek Him. He's a diligent rewarder of those who seek Him. And so, following Jesus always has next steps. No, none of us have arrived, I haven't arrived. Recently, I've just been reminded that there are next steps for me, for my family. I've been reminded that there are next steps for you. And I'd like to close with us thinking about that. What are, one of the things I'd like to, to identify in, in application is identify where you are on your journey in following Jesus and what are your next steps in, in, in following him. What's, what, what does he have for you to grow in your relationship with him and to grow as a disciple?
to know and follow hard after you. What is that for you? And so as we, in response time, as we pray, as we sing, I want to encourage you to ask and, and, and let him speak to you about what are those next steps for you. I um, also want to challenge you to prioritize your relationship with Christ by daily meditating upon who he is, his character, and his words. Like, let that, that passion to know Jesus drive you like it, like it drove Paul, where he said, I count everything, Philippians 3, I count it all as rubbish, as dung, compared to knowing Jesus. And he's just pressing on, like a, like, a, like a runner running a race, a marathon. He's just pressing on. I forget those things that are behind. I press on for what lies ahead in following Jesus. This is Christianity. This is normal Christianity. This isn't like elitism Christianity for the, for the special uh, Navy SEALs of Christianity. This is normal Christianity. This is not just for pastors and teachers and evangelists or missionaries. This is for you and I, brother and sister, to follow Jesus. And so lastly, surrender your ambitions and plans to Christ as your king. He's the king. And if the king had to suffer... He didn't just say he would suffer. He said he must suffer. That's what he came for. Then we can expect the same. And if the king was raised up from the grave and he conquered the grave, then we can expect the same on the other side of our suffering. Because after the cross, there is a resurrection. And that's Christianity. And that's why we celebrate. And that's why we live the way that we live. Worship team. Lord, I thank you that you don't just tickle our ears with things that we want to hear about us and about our life and about this world, but you speak truth to us that cuts, but yet heals and helps us to avoid great pain of wasting our lives on vain things. I thank you for the disciples, followers of you, yours, your children that are here, that are part of City Church Garland, who've, who have given you their yes to follow you and, and to make a difference in this community. And God, I'm asking that you would breathe upon our lives, that you would do what only you can do, God, that you would bring revival, that you would bring resurrection, life, redemption, and that the kingdom of God would spread like wildfire throughout this city, throughout this area. And that we would have the joy, the joy of seeing sons and daughters, babies, newborn babies, brought into the kingdom committing their lives to Jesus. And may we be faithful to live and display as examples of what it looks like to be kingdom citizens.